Hey there, this is Below the Line, celebrating people in the most collaborative art form, film and television. We love learning how films are made and about the careers and passions of creatives within the entertainment industry and showing Hollywood hopefuls different career opportunities that exist. Because they do. They're out there. It's not the fourth kind. <laughs> but regardless if you want to pick up a camera and bring your story to life, if you just enjoy a good popcorn flick, or if you're a true cinephile, I see you. We hope we can help you deepen your love for the movies. Today, I was invited to the studio of glass artist Tim Carey. He not only works in stained glass, but is one of the pioneers of fused glass art. And now, standing in his studio, surrounded by his work, I understand why the subject of our interview today, Justin Monroe, spent years documenting Tim's most notable work, which is a massive stained glass window, the largest in the world, at the Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas. This piece of stained glass art is 100 feet by 40 feet. And just to put that number in perspective, because I feel like it's kind of hard to like wrap your head around a piece of glass art that size. That is a 10 story building, 100 feet. That is three school buses, 100 feet. That is a whole ass blue whale, 100 feet of stained glass art. And Justin Monroe's film, the now award-winning Holy Frit, documented the whole journey and it is amazing. The first thing that captivated me about Justin's personality and how he approaches his craft is just his energy and his passion, which I think you're going to really enjoy as well. So without a further lead in, this is our interview with the award-winning documentarian and filmmaker, Justin Monroe. Today we're going to talk to filmmaker and documentarian Justin Monroe, and we have a lot to get into, particularly about your newest movie that is making the rounds right now, Holy Frit. Um, lots of questions about that, but first and foremost, I want to ask you just about like your career and everything along those lines as well. Okay. Uh, because you've done a lot of jobs in this industry, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think you could be in this industry and not do a lot of jobs. So I've done a number of jobs. Can yeah. you name a number of how many? Well, you know, any, you know, any any LA experience, Hollywood experiences, you have to have PA'd. So I've I've PA'd on I can't even tell you how many different you know films. Uh, and I worked as a desk assistant at a studio in Warner Brothers, and I did that thing for a while. But I've done you know camera work and audio work and. A little bit of editing, directing, producing. Uh, I worked on the, art, on the art department for many, many years. Um, it's chimney sweep, uh, you know, you name it. You know, wow! Dick Van Dyke style chimney sweep? Exactly, I do. <laughs> That's the only way you can do chimney sweep, is you have to dance yeah. uh, in a choreographed way. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. And primarily what you do now is directing. I do whatever needs 
to be done. Because in independent film, you have to, if you want to be a director, producer, whatever, but a director, you want to make something that you feel and hear, you've got to do everything it takes to get to the point to actually be a director. And so I guess, yeah, you know, I get to direct uh, on occasion um, more now than I used to, but I, it's just the best. It's what I love. Um, but it takes a lot of work to get to that point, you know. You have to do the desk jobs at Warner Brothers. You have to do the PA jobs. You have to do the. Well, I'm I'm talking about just if I it's like if I want to direct a project, you know, down the road, what it takes to get to the point of directing that job is the money's got to be in line. So you're producing. What is the project? Who have you talked to? Setting up everything. It's so just to get to the point where you get to do the thing you want to do. Um, it takes a lot of work to actually be a director in, in, in independent projects, I think, in LA. So, yes, but you do wear again, all the hats. You do. And yeah. the LA. You're right. They all have LA on all the hats. Good. Yeah. Because if it's the job. Oh, yeah. it's not true. No, I mean, I you do wear a lot of, I do, I do, I do wear LA hats because I feel like I've earned the right. I've been here for, you know, close to 20 years. So. And I love LA. And it's amazing. Through your whole time here, you've mm -hmm. made a variety of different projects. Mm -hmm. You've done uh, narrative and you've done documentary, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What would you say is like the primary difference between making those two very different <laughs> of those? Um, I would say that they are literally the flip of each other. Um, so with a, a narrative project, you're you're doing all the financing and the scripting. Uh, you know what the blueprint is. You're doing all the work on the front end for however long it takes. You know, it can take a long time to write a script and to edit it and edit it and edit it. And then you've got to do the fundraising campaign and then you have to cast it. So the work it takes on the front end of a narrative is a ton of work. With a documentary, you know, and then when you get to the editing process, you, you edit what you shot. So you knew, you know what the roadmap is and you had a script to shoot to. In a documentary, it's the flip. You can just grab a camera, put a microphone out there, and just go. Is that is that how easy it is to make it? Well, I mean, it depends on what your what your goals are, but you can get footage just with an iPhone. I mean, you can just do that. But the flip side is all of the time and effort are put into the post production. So where on the front end of a doc on a narrative, you spend all this time. On the back end of a documentary is where you spend so much of your time. You know, it's true. I do think that when I watch documentary films more than narrative, of I like I'm constantly leaving watching a documentary thinking, what did they leave on the you know the cutting room floor? Like how much of this movie is not there? There's like a whole there's a whole other movie that could probably be told of just like the stuff that they scrapped. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. of course. How what like for to. Put it in perspective, how much of your footage would you say when you are done with a documentary film have you cut and left behind? Well, with my one documentary, um, I did do a short documentary and that was a little bit different, but in this one particular documentary, Holy Frit, um, it's embarrassing, but I shot 1,100 hours of footage. And... Uh, <laughs> that's embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. That's, a, that's impressive. Well, you know, back in the day when filmmakers used to shoot on film, they would say, you are insane. You're absolutely fucking nuts. Mm. But in this world, you can shoot anything and everything. And I didn't know if we were doing a series 
for Holy Fruit. I didn't know what we were doing. I knew, I had an idea of the story, but so there is a lot there that we're still unearthing. And I think we're still going to try to use some of it, but the movie was less than two hours. So I don't even know what that shooting ratio is, but it's, it's abysmal. It's horrible. And in case you're curious what that shooting ratio is, uh, we did the math. 11,000 hours of footage. Holy Frit had a one hour and 59 minute runtime, which means 99.82% of the footage Justin filmed wasn't used. Mm, 99.82%. <laughs> 99.82. Okay, just making sure that that's sinking in. Well, no, when the fans are like rallying for like, we want more, you know, because everyone's doing the prequels and the sequels right now, you'll be able to like just pull out of this, you, you know, like extra bin that you have. So you were mentioning earlier about um, like how many hats you have to wear to get the jobs done and just how much work goes into it. So obviously if someone's going into this field, they need an incredible work ethic. Is there, do you have like a grocery list of things that you would say, if you're going into this industry, if you want to do this, here are like the traits that it requires. Oh man, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, grocery list. Oh, or you can think of it as not a grocery list. If that, if that <laughs> no, let me let me just think about this for a second. I, I mean, you can't not be here if you don't have a willingness to have some glue on your feet, meaning stick around. I think that you have to have passion. You have to have whatever drew you here. You love, obviously you love movies. You love uh, stories, right? I mean, something that, that draws you to the medium and you know, you've had a film that's changed your life or whatever and you feel this burning need to say, I, I wanna communicate something. Um, but I don't think you can make it in this business if you don't have the ability to ride the wave for a while. You have to be able to stick around. Obviously, you have to have work ethic because hours are crazy. They're insane. Yeah. And you, you know, we talked earlier, and I listen, obviously, it's not real war. It's not. I know that. But it is, it feels like things are changing so rapidly all the time and you're assessing things and things are coming at you that we use that term it's like war to to try to communicate you're not going into a regular nine to five situation and you're going to probably get yelled at you're probably going to yell it gets super super intense because time is money mm -hmm. right that's just true um and so beyond the work ethic beyond the passion those things have to carry you through your ability to have thick skin carry you through the war that you're going Well, because it, it is like you're working with a very large group of people. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know that group of people until no. you show up on the day. And then you're learning like, oh, these are the PAs and these are like the Griffin Electric team. And like, oh, yeah. now I have to learn on the day that we're spending 12 hours together how we're going to communicate with each other. And right, like that adds to like yeah, the and of it. Honestly, if you really think about it and you see all the names it takes to make a movie, yeah. I often think to myself, it is a miracle that movies get made. I'm not kidding. It is. How to get that many people all headed in the same direction? Yeah. That's insane. That's insane. And to think if you happen to be the person who you're directing or producing, and it's your job to keep them inspired, um, 
it's just nuts. It's just a nuts thing that we all do, but somehow that passion unites us and we believe in something that's bigger than the sum of its parts. It's bigger than us. And it takes all those people to contribute to what the thing is, you know? It's not, a, a movie is not just a director's vision. It, they, they have to come in with some kind of a roadmap, but every single person on that mechanism behind the scenes and in front of the camera, it's all of their fingerprints. And it's insane that it happens, but holy moly, it's amazing that it happens, right? And it keeps us addicted to want to keep showing up for the glutton, for the punishment, right? Yeah. Um, because we, stories triumph over our pain <laughs> that we go through. So, did that I give was, you a list? Did I give you a list? I don't think I gave you what you asked for. I felt like I was just watching like a, this is the reason that you should come to our college is because like we love movies kind of a thing. Like if I was just listening to that, I would be like, yeah, I'm going to drop my job working at Jamba Juice and I'm gonna go make movies, you know? Like that was a rallying cry. You are the battle leader. That's what that was. All right, so I have one other thing to add to that. This may or may not make the cut, but it was memorable to me. So I started in this business late. I, I was a musician for a lot of years and I thought that's what I was gonna do with my life. Justin speaks with such fondness for his music career that after the interview, we asked him if we could get a little bit of footage from a live performance. And we were in luck. The following is Justin on lead vocals for Jiffy Trip as they play a show inside Best Buy to celebrate the release of their album. And when the, the band thing completely fell apart, which is a whole other story, um, it was very heartbreaking, but whatever, that, that ended. I went, man, I'm too old. I've already gone down this path. I don't think I can get started. And I read, so I thought, you know, I always wanted to try acting. So I started to do a little bit of acting in college, and, but I was another major and I was doing some acting classes and that acting class caused me to change everything. So I became a theater major. And I had to read a book. So all this leading up to this book. And it was called Acting Power. And the first three chapters of this book were all about a million reasons why you should run from this business as an actor. Whether you're in theater or, or you're doing movies, get out of here now. Don't do it. It's the worst thing you could ever do with your life. You will not make a dime and you'll leave brokenhearted. Run, 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 run. The first three chapters are that way. And the fourth chapter said, if you've gotten through the first three chapters, then now let's talk about acting professionally. And I remember that going, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I got through it. That didn't scare me. Yeah. And I would say, that's filmmaking, right? Like, let me tell you a million reasons why you shouldn't do it. And then if you're willing to hear all those and you're not scared off, then all right, let's talk about it. Do you think that there is... Because uh, you didn't know that you wanted to do directing when you started mm -hmm. off in, with a theater major, or did you always kind of know that, like, I would like to be in charge of the set, I would like to be able to run? Yeah, it, it wasn't about being in charge, it was that you just have this, this way of seeing or believing in something, a story. To me, story is king. 
you know, I'm driven by story. And if, do I have the audacity to feel like I can tell the story in a, in a unique way that will translate through the camera to people and they'll leave feeling bigger than they were when they watched it or inspired or uh, named because man, when I sit down in front of a movie and I give myself to it and it names me, it, 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 it puts something into me. There's nothing better in the whole world. And if I can be a part of that, maybe what a thing to be able to do. And so it was never about, I want to be the leader. It was just, do I see in such a way that I feel like will translate to people? And I guess I did believe that about myself. Uh, I hope that it was true. Um, and so I feel, I felt like, well, let's do this thing. Right. And I've been able to do it for a while now. So that's, I just feel fortunate. Hi, love that. And you're obviously like just grateful to be here and be doing what you love. Okay. And like, gosh, I hope that everyone in the world gets to feel that way about they like about what they do at some point. You talked about your early education, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if you your education in band and music. No, no. I I tended like, do I have zero experience in that thing? Let's just do it. Come on, I can do this thing. So that was the way I started with music. It was, um, I felt like I had something to say, something to do. And so I formed this band. I didn't know if I could sing. I didn't know, if, you know, what I would be like on stage. Um, but I just had a belief. I feel like I need to have a better DJ voice for announcing um, uh, songs playing. <clears throat> this next clip is Jiffy Trip playing Kane's Ballroom in 1997. Take it away, boys. And so I found some guys that were pretty good at what they did, and we started. And we were horrible for a long time. Nice. And somehow we stuck at it because, to me, I think it's 90% sticking around. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to do that, and you do have some little bit of talent that you can develop and work from, um, and, and over time you develop those things and maybe you can, maybe you have, you can actually do it. So that's what we did. Um, we stuck around and finally we became a band that was, you know, pretty decent, I think. Uh, and so my education was on set, so to speak. And then my education in the movies, I did uh, filmmaking, but I did get some education there, but I think the majority but, of my educa education has been on set. So through, through... You did get some like experience just being like, this is what it's like to put a production together in terms mm -hmm. of like music mm -hmm. and what it sounds like. But then you gravitated towards theater. Mm -hmm. And then through theater, that was more of your influence into film. Or did you always like film? Or? Oh, I always liked film. I always wanted to be a part of filmmaking, but I thought that I had I just waited too long. So, because I, I chose this, this, this music career thing. And that to me was my education of hard knocks. I mean, you had to deal with club owners, you had to be in a van with stinky boys, you know, going up and down the coast or wherever, leaving from the Midwest and, you know, playing for, you know, peanuts and no one in the room and you hone and hone and hone your set. And hopefully people like you. So next time you come back there, well, it might be five people and 10 people, you know, and you're willing to just show up and show up. So that was my education and what it was to have an art career 
which was, you know, really interesting. And then, uh, so I took that experience, took an acting class, did theater. So I was educated in the theater, but I always had my sights on movies. It was like, how do I translate this theater experience and education into filmmaking? And so my junior year, I did a film intensive here in LA. So I lived in Oklahoma and I came out here and did a film intensive at the Los Angeles uh, Film Study Center. And that's where I interned at Warner Brothers and all that. And I went back and graduated and convinced my wife to move to LA. And she was not down with it. She was not down with the idea, but... I wouldn't blame anyone for not being down with it. She's from a small town and she was like, I don't want any part of that crazy city. Um, And through a long story, we ended up in Pasadena and that felt like a great landing place for us because it wasn't the Hollywood thing, you know, mm-hmm. but it still had culture. And so this changed everything for her. And now you couldn't get her to move back to Oklahoma if I paid her. Yeah. She loves it here. You know, she's... Because the Pasadena is great. Yeah, it's a good place. I like it. But for... Is there anything that you would say towards someone who's looking for an education in film right now? Mm-hmm. Is there, like, you did not go a traditional route of yeah. going to UCLA and things right. like that. So, listen, this is no secret. To go to UCLA or USC, it's going to cost a shit ton of money. Cost money? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, just a little no. bit. Some might say a shit ton, a fuck ton, you know, somewhere around there. Yeah, along um, those lines. So, the one thing that it will give you, you know, the education is great. It's great. But it puts you in the room with other people who are going for it. So, you develop a community, right? You develop contacts. Um, and the school has resources, so you can do things at a level that's comparable to actually being on a real set, you know, a professional set. Um, so if you can afford it, it's great because the community will give you after. But actually succeeding in this business, there have been a few people that have like walked out of school and handed, you know, the job. But it's it's are you willing to do all the other things? And I feel like you can learn the craft in, in school, but it does not necessarily prepare you for what it takes to do a project, to fundraise for it really, and to see it from beginning to end, that's just experience. And so I had it in my film intensive, I asked if I should go to film school proper. And one of my professors there said, the amount of money you would spend on one semester at USC or UCLA, if you put that into buying a computer and editing software and cameras and audio gear for one semester you could buy what you needed and start making short films over and over and over and over that will be a better education to you because you're going to learn better there and so that's what I did hands on. that's what I did um, instead of, so that was the path for me um, yeah there's part of me that wishes I could have maybe gone because I would have come out with a group of contacts, I've had to work really hard to develop those folks in my life. Um, but I would never trade the experience that I had over a classroom. You know, that's me. That's just, I think you have to learn from being on set. That's what turns you into a, a real professional in this business. It does. Yeah. That's what I, I think we've been hearing from mm-hmm. a lot of people is that it, like a, a classroom can be really helpful when you're 
kind of learning about what you want to do, about what you right. might be like more interested in. But then after that, you do need to like jump in onto the set and really like figure out hands on what thing you're most gravitating towards and actually like doing because it is like a a thing that you're gonna need to enjoy doing for twelve hours a day. Absolutely. Six days a week and like. That is a great point because if I kind of have this thing inside me that said I I I, I want to write and I want to direct, um, and that's I sort of knew that, so I didn't think I would get there by you know being an AD for a long time or whatever because the AD job, assistant director job, is quite different than an actual director job. So I just thought I have to learn how to direct, and I just have to f up as many times as I can and figure out how to fail forward a lot. So I just did a bunch of crap shorts. Um, but if you don't know, you're absolutely right. That's where you get to try on a lot of different hats. That's what school can provide you is, you know, you want to be a part of this, but you don't know. Um, it can be harder to, to navigate that just jumping on set. Being a PA introduces you to a lot of things. So you learn that crap rolls downhill and you usually deal with it. And it's good to know that, but, but that's what school I think is really helpful for. You know, I, that's why it maybe wasn't the fit for me, but it would be for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. You had your start, as a lot of people do, making short films. And it sounds like you've made a fair deal of them. But through that, you got to learn about what works in filmmaking and what doesn't. Yeah. Is there anything that you still hold like from those times about this is what I believe makes a good film? This is what, especially like your mark on a film hmm. can make that difference to us? I would say doing the short films helped me find what my mark was mm -hmm. through through doing it over and over. And, and so one thing I did do in this film intensive when I was there was they had you do, you know, short films and you'd have to like just around the idea of like lighting. So you'd have to incorporate telling a story that really challenged you from a lighting perspective. And so you would have to do that. Uh, what if you want to do like uh, an action sequence so like do a little short based on like what it takes to put to, together the components of an action sequence what would it be like to do something that was like a thriller you know holding tension so you do all these and so what my friends and I did after that um, I moved back out here and, and several friends moved out here with me and said let's take what we were doing at that time and let's all rotate and so you'll direct this week, I'll direct next week, I'll produce for you, I'll act in your thing, you act in my thing. And we had a group of about four to five people, and we just rotated jobs. Duncan Christopher was like any other boy. He just wanted to be like his dad. Except Duncan was awkward. And we spit out like, I don't even know how many shorts. And all around, let's try a lighting one, let's try an, act, you know, an action one. And, and we watched each other and learned from each other. And in that, you begin to see, for whatever reason, I gravitate towards just doing it this way. And I find that I, I light up more when I do this sort of thing. And so um, you don't always know what your mark is. And I, I didn't. I had to find it. Um, I knew I had one in music, but I didn't know what it was in filmmaking. And so just going through that experience, found, I found what just naturally occurs for myself. And... So that's, that's what was really cool about that for me. That's yeah. so fun though. Have you watched any of those short oh, films? Man. Like recently, did you guys have like been, a It's been a long time, but when I was, it's funny, my, 
So our editor on Holy Frit, him and I had a business. He's edited most everything that I've done, feature-wise and short-wise. And uh, we have a great relationship. Um, and a shorthand, you know, working with an editor to develop, that's really great. But he was right there with me when we started that. And he did, when we were editing Holy Frit, and I was in New York because he moved to New York, he pulled one of those out. And we watched a little bit of it. And I thought, oh my goodness, what were we doing? But you could see, it's funny, you know, you can look back and you go, oh, look, there we are. You know? yeah. <laughs> there we are in that pile of crap. We're right there. And that was, it was actually pretty cool, you know, to see that. So, um, yeah, I think the answer is yes to that. I would love to show I would definitely show up to a screening series if you wanted to like you and your your core group of friends we'll call it we'll in. call it the uh the turd days yeah Justin Monroe the turd days you can have a lot of food vendors that are all selling like little turds yeah there you go right there you go no it was fun it was fun it was fun so yeah do you also, like talking about the mark that you have on a film, how you present your style, how you choose to tell your story, how do you do that in a documentary when the whole project is about telling someone else's story? Well, I never thought I wanted to do a documentary. Ever, ever, ever. I like them fine, but I never wanted to do one myself. And it wasn't until... Never tell the universe, God, anyone what you're not going to do because the chances are you're probably going to do the thing you swore you were never going to do yeah, or you're going to try not to do. So um, the way that this documentary sort of fell onto my lap, truly, I realized, holy crap, just like anything else in my life, when the thing revealed itself like, oh shit, I've got to do, I, I, I'm going to do this and my life's going to change. So I swore off documentaries and then here comes this project and went, Okay, I'm going to do this. Man, I'm going to do this. But I had already done enough narrative stuff that I had that in my thinking. And so for me, I knew that the subject matter could be very dry. I mean, it was about the making of the biggest stained glass window in the world. I'm like, I knew right away. I'm like, no one is going to want to watch this movie. I don't want to watch this movie. I don't want to direct this movie. Well, how am I going to spend my life doing this? And many years of my life... But I knew I had to, so I thought, okay, what's going to unlock people to get beyond the subject matter at hand? What I was drawn to was the clash of personalities, and then ultimately the main subject, Tim Carey. He had a way about him. He had a he had a thing that I resonated with, and he was funny as hell. And I went, humor is going to unlock this story because an entertainment value is going to unlock the subject. And people are going to forget they're watching a movie about stained glass. And so my mind, I knew that Tim was going to be just like, you know, the main character of a movie, a narrative project. And maybe I brought that sensibility of narratives to that process, even though I shot way more than I should. Well, you, um, you shot the sequel as well. Right. Yeah. The sequel and the trequel mm -hmm. and the whatever. The spin after, <laughs> yes, right. The spinoff series. So I probably brought that to it, you know, that I'd done these other projects narrative-wise, um, but I knew that I needed to capture the silk thread of humor as you were educating and bringing some people into the knowledge of something that 
they might at first glance or first watch think, this is very dry because Tim took me there. He made me care about something that I didn't think I would ever care about, right? Um, and so I knew that he would have to be our guide. He would have to be our guide. And so, um, yeah. Did I answer your question? I'm not sure I did. I have a question. I'm going to interrupt. I'm just having yeah. that now. Um, why did you feel like this was a story you had to tell? Well, when presented with <laughs> these elements, the biggest window ever, the person made a design that he had no clue how to pull off, and he won the biggest stained glass commission in the world, the biggest in the world, and the only way he was going to be able to pull this off was to find some dude named Narcissus Quagliata, who was this famous glass maestro from Italy who lived in Mexico City, that those were the odds stacked against us and they had an insane timeline to do something. Um, I thought, okay, this is interesting, right? Uh, and I just resonated with Tim as a person and I had to know how it was going to turn out. And I thought, well, I no one else has been, this isn't in their hearing. I'm being presented with this information. So I had to convince David's, or Tim's boss down at the studio is working. You have to let me start shooting now before they get Narcissus, before they've actually landed the deal. I knew that I had to at least capture the first of it because if it did happen that they landed the deal, I would want that part of it. To me, it just sounded insane. It just sounded insane. And, you know, we talked about it earlier. I love filming chaos. I love filming things that are right on the precipice of falling the fuck apart. I think that is so interesting to film. I don't like to the production part to be in chaos, but I love to watch it. And I thought, this is ripe for chaos. And I was like, I'm in. I'm into that. Um, and then it did, they did land the job. And Narcissus did come on board. And I went, well, here goes many years of my life. So that was it. The chaos sounded too intriguing. And this next clip is the trailer to Justin's award-winning film, Holy Frit. I can't answer what is an artist. It's too big a question. I just never thought any of my work was ever important. The middle child never feels that anything is fair. He's the black sheep. I don't think anyone ever grows up wanting to be a stained glass artist. It just kind of finds you. Why are you doing this? Because I didn't get into medical school. Everything I did that had a foundation in common sense, I always failed it. Judson has the largest stained glass window in the world to make. But everything I did when I dreamed something intensely, I always got it. We just didn't understand who could possibly want a window this big. The church has 20,000 members. This expansion will allow for them to take many more. And others who have questioned if $90 million is excessive. That sounds like a crazy amount of money. It sounds absurd, actually. Are you guys going to make the church's deadline? No. We're making something that's never been done before. We don't know how we're going to do this. They could sink us. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Narcissus. He is to stained glass what somebody like Steven Spielberg is to filmmaking or Michael Jordan is to shoes. There's our guy flying in to save us. Okay, here it comes. 
The whole place feels to me that it's in the Stone Age. This piece has to be a masterpiece. It can't be finished. The people in that community for 500 years are going to look at something you did that sucks. Oh. Time to splice back, anybody know? Are you planning on cutting all this? I don't know, we're failing pretty miserably. Oh, shit, what happened to our kill? Did I poison the neighborhood? We've been getting death threats. So there's a pattern developing here. I think I'm the problem. I know exactly what he's going through. Tim, uh, we're a little worried about the cracks in it. Is that something you guys can fix? So can we have one more year to finish that? Uh, no, you can't. <laughs> it's almost like Mickey Mouse that goes off the cliff, and he falls only when he looks down. I kind of felt like I might die. It's kind of like that. All my life, I've been involved with glass. I've never seen that. Sometimes you gotta grab a meal on the run. You know, we're doing the biggest window in the world. Oh, I gotta change my life. The war aspect. That? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now. I'm sorry, I'm, just, I'm, I'm taking over here for a second. I don't wanna be. Oh, this is, you know that this is your interview, right? Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. I get to you next, but, uh, you next, but, um, the one thing that filmmaking is, and if I was gonna like, you know, the three pages of like, this is insane, this is insane. You have to prepare as best that you can. And on, and on narratives, I prepare like crazy. I, I, I'm a preparer. When you develop a muscle for how to like respond, you can, it doesn't take maybe, maybe not as much as you did in the beginning because you kind of understand things, but ultimately you come in with an idea, a plan, and you have to, be willing to drop your plan in a heartbeat and respond to the moment. And if, you know, you talk about being a leader, I don't want to lead. If you, if I have to come with a shot list and it's like, this is my vision and I'm, sh and I'm there. And in the moment, the actor, something else happens. And if I don't see that thing is more important than what I have on this piece of paper, I've, I've not followed the magic. Mm. You have to say, forget it. I'm following the magic. But because that's in you, you know how to work with what needs to happen for the day and work that into your plan. If you show up no plan, then it just chaos can ensue. And that's what you don't want to bring on this side of the camera, the behind the scenes, is to follow the chaos and the, ma and the magic. It really is the magic. It's, it's, I love it when things go wrong, even in narratives. And I'll tell my actors, we're waiting for the moment where you drop a line. We're waiting for the moment when you drop a prop. When, oh shit, the light went down and oh crap, you hurt yourself. I'm not gonna stop filming because what are you gonna do in that moment? And that's when something original can occur because they're thinking instinctively, how do I, and that, that's that chaos that's erupting, but really it's, it's not the chaos, it's the magic. And you've gotta be willing to follow that. Your plans are fine, but most of the time they're gonna, you have to toss them out. So that's good to know. So if someone is is in your project and they're hurt, it's good to know that you just oh, like, no. you're on your own. Okay, buddy. as long as we're rolling, we got that. It. That's great. That's a really. No, really good I love. I love the. I love the, like you're right. Like follow. Like is that the number one thing that you would say to someone who is about to jump into this industry? They're ready for it. They're like, yes, I know how hard it's going to be. I know that it's gonna require a lot of hours and I'm not gonna see my family as much as I want to because I can't make it home for vacations when mm -hmm. most people do. Is that the piece of advice that you would say like is what would help keep someone going? Follow the magic? Is yeah. That... 
Well, I mean, honestly, the magic that led you to, to feel like I'm going to sign up for the craziness of moving to L.A. and I'm actually going to work on set and I'm going to keep doing this and showing up. I mean, the slipstream of the chaos magic thing is like two sides of the same coin, you know. Um, are you a little insane, you know, I guess, but do you have that thing in your heart that's, I believe, in story and I believe that the power of two hours in a dark room with a crowd of people actually matters and can change Are you lives. <laughs> right. We can cut right to her uh, her, her <laughs> opening before all the movies we're watching right now. Let's just listen to Nicole Kidman. We come to this place for magic. We come to AMC theaters to laugh, to cry, to care. Because we need that, all of us. Uh, she's my spirit animal, maybe? No, that's oh, not true. I, I have other spirit that. animals. She's, she's, she's just fun. one of them. She's one of them. One of them yeah. Yes. Uh, I would say communication. Here's the one thing artists tend to be, there's all kinds of artists, but if you're really going to do this and be serious about it, you got to get your shit together as a person, as a human. You can be a crazy person. But you realize that after a while, if you're an asshole and you're a crazy person, people are going to stop wanting to work with you. I think that gone are the days of working with the auteur who berates his crew and hurts them and, and wants to use that, you know? Yeah. Um, I would never do that, by the way. And I would say, don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. I, I think... We lived through an era of filmmaking and we're now as an industry looking and seeing like how horrible it was allowed to be by some choice, unfortunately, big name people who just exploited every situation because they had this power and they used it. They used people's hearts and tenderness and passion against them and it's just disgusting. But beyond that, there's also a level of like shit rolls downhill. That was always I heard as a PA, which it does. But it 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 made certain people feel entitled to say, I went through this. Now it's my turn to make you go through shit. And 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 intentionally be an asshole. Mm -hmm. Um and I remember many, many a PA job working on one particular where there was a guy and his name became synonymous with uh with uh, a, a, a tin two, <laughs> it became. It was like I'm going to this guy's name because of how much of a jerk he was. And look, we're in a time right now where it's really cool. Kindness is becoming a thing. It's like being kind is like imagine that being kind to people and being they're respectful. Into yeah. They're into it. It's like a, yeah. it's like a thing. <laughs> but my goodness, like it shouldn't just be a thing. That is a human that's a, willing to give their heart and soul and time and sweat to your thing. How could you ever exploit that or use that or not see them as a human being? Um, that is just not okay. And, and if honestly you want to make it in this business, as much as your brain awesome as you might think you are, if that comes to the expense of other people, Go home. Go home. You Don't do him. this. Yeah. Don't do it. Tell him. 
Don't do it because you're honestly not that fucking cool. You're, you, you, it'll only take you that far. And there are a few people that got through that time, but we don't live in that time anymore. So tenacity, being willing to be as prepared as possible throughout the plans, a love of story, and having something to say. Because a lot of people come and they think, oh, I'm going to be this call a huge, amazing thing. But do you have an original way of seeing that thing? Because as a director, it's your job to see it in a way that's transmittable and unique. And can you take, because, you know, there's no new stories under the sun. What do you bring to it? Your fingerprint. But that can't come at the expense of being a dick. And if you're following along, this is Justin's finished list of what traits make a good filmmaker. We don't have a round at a 10, because uh, if there were 10, then uh, that's for goody two-shoes, who are no fun to be around. So we've got one, tenacity, two, passion, three, the burning need, four, work ethic, five, be prepared, six, but flexible, seven, love of story, eight, something to say, and nine, don't be a dick. I would love to ask you a follow-up question on that because I think that is everyone is trying to figure out what is their original voice, what makes their take unique, especially in this age where we are going off of so many like pre-existing IPs, you know, mm -hmm. with like sequels and prequels and mm -hmm. all of those things. And yeah. uh, and so, you know, is it because we've run out of original stories to tell and what makes a story, an original vision that only someone can tell. Like, is is there anything that you you could offer to someone like that? Is it like, do you mind your personal history? Do you hmm. think of your dream? You know, like. Well, I mean, look, we were all talking about this earlier, and Sean might decide to turn the cameras off when I say this, but as much as I love Marvel movies and wonderful summer blockbusters. Uh, they've kind of they've kind of messed up the independent filmmaker. They've messed up the medium budget films, and and then and, and unfortunately because the the industry like the music industry it left the artists being in control and it moved to the shareholders being in control. So those folks are all about risk, you know, management, and there are all kinds of original thoughts out there. And there are filmmakers doing, making their mark. But do they have an avenue to release that? And that has been gobbled up by, unfortunately, the sequels and the prequels and the Marvel movies as much as I love them. And I support them. I do. But we have to find a way to have that and bring back the big Lebowskis of the world. See what happens, Lebowski? You see what happens? Nobody calls me Lebowski. You got the wrong guy. I'm the dude, man. Your name's Lebowski, Lebowski. Uh, you know, the magnolias of the world. I lost my gun today when I left you, and I'm the laughing stock of a lot of people. I wanted to tell you. I wanted you to know, and it's on my mind. And it makes me look like a fool. And I feel like a fool. And so you have those directors who proved themselves as we were making the transition, so we trust them. Well, we will hand them $40 million to make a medium budget film, but we won't hand it to a lot of younger folks. We won't give them those chances very often. And if they are a young director and they're doing a big deal, 
its direction by committee. They better step to the producers and the machine. So the only way, this is the other piece of advice that I actually really failed to mention, and I think it is key. Beyond the work ethic, are you willing to do what it takes to all the things that it takes to make your vision happen on your own? And I think in this day and age, you can't just be a director. You have to be a marketer. You have to be a social media -er. You have to be a producer. You have to be a PA. You actually have to figure out how to kind of edit. You have to learn everything. And in the end, I think it's really amazing, but you have to wear so many hats just to say action. Do you have the ability to be that flexible? Because it's gonna take that. Because no one is gonna hand you a million dollars anymore, or two million dollars, or $50,000. You have to figure out how to fundraise yourself to make that unique voice have a space in the world. It's actually insane. It's insane to just do the thing you love to do, all the other things you have to do, but if your vision is robust enough and the passion, like those three page, three chapters, can you get through those three chapters of shit and you're still here? Then, then let's do it, that's on, let's do it. You're willing to do what it takes. Are you willing to do what it takes? That's, and you have to do a lot of things you probably never thought you would have to do. It's just, it's just, man, it's a nutty thing to do what we do, Siobhan. It's a nutty thing to do what you do. And, but you know what, hold on, and the last thing, sorry. There's a million things and one things, but it's drawing up people. Because at the end of the day, a story is about the universal connection to the human spirit, right? And that's what you're hoping we do. You actually make me feel really comfortable. And being in this room, I feel comfortable. I don't like doing this at all. But if I can be felt, if I can feel comfortable, then I can say what, I, what my heart would want to say. And that's what you're hoping the actor, you can do for the actor, you can do for the PA. It's the human connection. And that's what we're all bought into. Does that thing that we're filming when the lights go out and people watch it, does it make them come alive? Does it name them? Does it make them more than what they were before they left? Before they came in there, excuse me. That's what we want to do. That's the magic. And we're not going to get it if we don't know how to connect to a human. If we don't know how to draw out the human component and love it. Love it for all of its awkwardness and its, and its weirdness and its beauty. Um, you have to understand humanity. Because those are the stories you gotta resonate. You have to resonate. Yeah. So. Otherwise, you're just resonating on yourself. Yourself. And you're right. little and that doesn't, doesn't go so far, man. Uh, it doesn't go so far. So. We've talked a little bit. Yeah. About. It's been awesome. Just in general. You're just doing a little bit amazing. Time. Thank you. Oh, you're doing amazing. Thank you. And we'll continue to do so. Okay. Okay. So, the we've talked a little bit about the work that you've done in film. But I would love to ask you about your role as a viewer of mm. films. What inspired you? What you've been watching? What I'll ask you some more specifics. So yeah, it's not so big. But just to start off with, what are some of your favorite films? Oh man, the favorite thing. Um, first of all, honestly, I'm a viewer first, and I have no problem saying. I think Fellini's amazing. I love 
popcorn films. I love all the weird artsy things, but I love a good Marvel movie. I love a good popcorn film. Um, I love to watch movies. And um, so, and I'm not, this is not a cop out. This has been true for me my whole life. I don't, I don't have, I don't like favorites because how in the heck can I judge what Goonies did to me versus what Eight and a Half did? They are both equally have a, a place in my heart that has moved me and changed me and given to me. They're just giving that part of me. And so favorites. Uh, you know, Sean saw in in my office right now, as cheesy or as not cheesy as this may be, I have films, uh, posters up, that were the ones that I would say, for whatever reason, contributed something very specific that influenced me as a filmmaker and as just an art lover. And it's, you know, and so you can't see anyone's top list and not see... Shawshank Redemption on the top of that, right? And that's how it came to pass that on the second to last day of the job, the convict crew that tarred the plate factory roof in the spring of 49 wound up sitting in a row at 10 o'clock in the morning drinking icy cold Bohemia style beer. I just mentioned the Goonies. Don't you realize? The next time you see Sky, it'll be over another town. The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school. Our parents, they want the best of stuff for us. But right now, they gotta do what's right for them. Because it's their time. Their time. Up there. Down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. Uh, I talked a second ago about uh, the Big Lebowski make you uncomfortable, Mr. Lebowski. Uh, is that what this is a picture of? In a sense, yes. My art has been commended as being strongly vaginal, which bothers some men. The word itself makes some men uncomfortable. Vagina. Uh, Royal Tenenbaum. Are you getting divorced? At the moment, no. But uh, it doesn't look good. Do you still love us? Of course I do. Do you still love Mom? Yes, very much, but your mother's asked me to leave, and I must respect her position on the matter. Was it our fault? No. Oh, obviously, we made certain sacrifices as a result of having children, but uh, no, Lord, no. Then why'd she ask you to leave? I don't really know anymore. Amelie. You didn't think you had a face around you? Ginette is too big to defend herself. But it's not Ginette, I think. Um, I mean, eight and a half was a pretty big influence. No, questo tipo no, non è capace. Questo vuole prendere tutto, arraffare tutto, non sa rinunciare a niente. Cambia strada ogni giorno perché ha paura di perdere quella giusta e sta morendo come di sanguato. E così finisce il film? No, comincia così. Poi incontra la ragazza della fonte. È una di quelle ragazze che danno l'acqua per guarire. On the Fellini, just the way he he tells. Um, uh, it's a wonderful life. Your brother Harry Bailey 
broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. So these films that, for whatever reason, and, and here's one that's controversial, and because people gave it a bad rap. I don't know why. It, I maybe it had like a 70, 70-something, 70 you know, in Rotten Tomatoes, but the movie Contact literally changed my life changed my life. Something about where I was psychologically at that time in my life, the questions that I was asking about humanity and space and the ethereal world, God, all the crazy cosmic questions, I showed up. And uh, have you seen that movie? Yeah. So it like starts and it's, it's the radio broadcast that was from the 1930s-ish Olympics, you know, and Hitler, and it's going out. And as it's going out, you know, I actually, I think it started even more, I think it might have been like Spice Girls, and it started moving back, and it was showing the radio waves that were going through space and time, how far the radio waves went, and then it goes further and further into space, and then it's like, you know, beyond our realm into the bigger realm, and then, you know, our, our, Galaxy, and galaxies, and galaxies, and galaxies, and galaxies, and galaxies, and galaxies, and And then all ends, the shot ends, in the little dot of light in the main character's eye as a kid. That was it. That was like, I, I just don't, I, because I, it's like they put visual articulation to something that is existing inside here. And the whole thing took what, like two, three minutes? Yes. To express? And it started with audio, and then it outran the audio because it's beyond the broadcast, right? The radio broadcast. And it just was silence. 
And then they added accents of what the sound might be like, this thing's moving, but... And it, that whole world was in the pinprick of her eye. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the circle. That film, out of all the most amazing films ever, ever, something about that moment, me in that seat watching that film, changed everything for me. And I, that was the time where I went, I have to do that. That. And I was in a band at the time. And I was loving it. It was all my world. And I, I remember pulling my friends aside. And I you know, spoken a lot at the time. Uh, and I said, if I can't do that with my life, I'm doing nothing. And I remember telling my girlfriend, who's now my wife, I have to do that with my life. And she's like, well, you're doing music. And I'm like, I know, but that's it. That's it. And so when the band ran out of steam and it all imploded and whatever, and that's why I said to myself, I think maybe I'm too old to do this film stuff, but I took that one acting class and I said, you know what, fuck it, there is no age. There's no age. Age doesn't matter. I will die trying to chase that, the universe and the speck of an eye. That's it. I will chase that the rest of my life. Um, so as crazy as it is, contact change everything. Sometimes we have no idea how much a movie is going to affect us until we're sitting there and we're watching it and we're like, is anyone else feeling this? Because yeah. this is hitting me and I'm like, you know, and then it's everything everywhere all at once. I think like the whole country somewhat unanimously was like, oh, that hit us really hard. Mm. But there are some movies that you just like, you don't expect it. Yeah. And then it happens yeah. and you're like, okay, well my world is a different place yeah. now. Thank you very much. Yeah, completely. Are you watching anything streaming right now? Is there anything TV-wise? Oh, yeah. You were I, talked I, about TV. So here's the really sad truth is I think in movies. So when I think about the projects that I want to do, I think in movies. But I love television. And I love television series because I love to go with a character for a long time. I love because I so love the development of the human story and all that's thrown at them. And so I watch a lot of series okay. and um yeah i you know i mean look i i'm, I'm not gonna lie okay I, I watched watch, like good game, i watched the, of, <laughs> of course um i watched you know the game of thrones i've watched finished the season three of the boys i try to watch anything and everything um docuseries stuff i watch this true crime stuff uh oh my goodness i mean I, i'm a sucker for historical fiction uh stuff so I like watch Victoria, and I watch every kind of. If, if there's a British accent in it, I'm totally into it. I just love it. Um, I didn't guess that. Yeah, like, I'm if into I had it. to guess what show you were watching, it wouldn't be yeah. like the Jane Austen. Inspired. Totally into it. I totally love it. I'm fine. I, you know, it gets the label chick flick. I, I think it's just good stories. You know, like yeah. love and heartbreak and all that stuff and. Um, just really great dialogue and I'm into it and I don't know what it is but I think it's just because I'm American and I love I love the British thing you know I love the European thing because we wish that we were from somewhere that had that sort of that had system. like more yeah. of a like history behind yes, it yeah. other than like just, yeah. a terrible 100 years yes right of course right so um, I mean honestly I, I've watched so many things I don't even know how to name them all it's just and that, because I don't have favorites it's like what I'm watching now happens to be uh, I love it I won't lie I watched you know we talked a little bit about All the Walking Dead I've watched all that mm -hmm. to my wife's chagrin she wanted me to quit after season two 
And I said, no, I will not. I will not give up on you. And so I've, well, I'm all the way caught up on that. And She said that on season two. Oh, yeah, she was done. She was done in season two. Oh, so, no. Which is great because I go to, tend to go to bed later than she does. And so I need things to watch because I just can't. I don't go to sleep, sleep that early. So I need things to watch on my own that I know she doesn't care about. Okay, so it's going to be that next thing. Okay. Um, not to say that, you know, uh, your love for Victorian flicks are a mm -hmm. guilty pleasure. So those... What else would you say would be a guilty pleasure of yours to watch? That everyone says I should feel guilty about watching The Walking Dead. Do they really? Oh yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I know I just because you guys and gals, it's really bad writing. It's it, oh no. <laughs> I mean, it really, really is. Like the I mean, uh, there are some. I'm watching it going no, no. I'm yelling at the screen. I'm like, how did this happen? There's just some really, really poorly directed, poorly written episodes. And I don't care. I do not care. Because you're in it. You're because in I'm in world. it. I've bought into the characters. I've bought into the world. So um, I will turn a show off if I think it's, it's pretty bad. But if it gets me, if it has seasons that get in there, mm -hmm. I can, I'll be its biggest fan. And so... I, you know, maybe that's not a guilty pleasure for a lot of people out there, but I think The Walking Dead is a guilty pleasure. We're just friends having a drink, that's all. Now, where's the good stuff? Huh? Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Let's see. Hey, look at that. That'll work. You gotta understand. We can't stay out there. You know what it's like. Yeah, I do. Because it's not great. Yeah, but it's good. It's, it's really good. good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm down with it. Yeah. I got gotcha. yeah. yeah. Is there anyone working in the industry right mm. now who inspires you? Who you look at their, you know, creative line of work and you think... They did. They did a really good job on them. Man. You know, they're, you know, the wall of inspiration. I, um, I mean, Darabont, that's why we love the beginning, right, of, of Walking Dead. But, um, listen, I, I don't love to be pigeonholed into genres because I love so many movies. I don't have favorites. I'm not a genre guy, but I've done genre pictures. But if you look at a career at someone like you know, obviously, okay, it's just so, it's just so like, per it's low-hanging fruit, but you look at someone like Steven Spielberg and, and, and how he became what he was, and the fact that he just said, I'm making movies and I'm breaking through, and what he's done, the career he's had, um, but, you know, don't forget these amazing, you know, French directors and, um, you know, come on, uh, uh Pulp Fiction and, you know, uh, Wes Anderson and um, Jean-Pierre Genet, who did Amelie, and he did some really weird films before that. I don't know if you ever saw Delicatessen. Such a fucking cool, wild movie. It's such a weird movie. Um... But he was really inspirational to me. 
Genet because his imaginative way of directing mm -hmm. and he just had a way about them. Um, I, to me, it's just, did they get me? Did they, did they change me? And so I can talk about the movies that have done that. And then there are directors associated with those movies that have done that more often than not. Man, a lot of the people that, that you direct. a lot of the people that you mentioned, they started on shoestring budgets, mm -hmm. like at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Is that part of what is the inspiration behind it? It's like, oh, they did it with pennies. And I think that if you can, if you can learn to make pennies look like a million dollars, you have only learned that from onset you know i don't that's the bad thing i think about going to schools like usc or ucla's i feel like the one bad thing that film school does at a place with usc which has real resources is that the moment you leave that and you start to make your own productions and you go wait where are the 10k lights where's my crane you know where are my crew did you pay for them did you find them did you create the resources to get them um if you don't know how to create something out of nothing then you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna fall quickly in this business, and so when I look at filmmakers like Spielberg or Tarantino or Genet, which was one, or so many others who have learned how to make something out of nothing, there's something to that. They because making a movie is so freaking hard. It is so hard to do all this thing, and at the end of the day, you make it and you sit down, and for someone to go, yeah, I actually kind of like that. When you're competing against, I mean, think of that. $300 million film, I had $50,000, I had $5,000, but we judged them at the same level. The same level. We will not give an inch. And you'll go, okay, pat, pat, pat. But at the end of the day, if you leave and you go, no, that, that just, just, just didn't do it. If you, if you don't know how to turn nothing into something, it's a tough one. You have to get capture people's attention to be able to do that. And nothing teaches you like, the ability to just do a whole bunch of shit, turds, turds, turds on set to learn how to, to make a more golden, polished turd. And then maybe it's no longer a turd. It's like, you know, a, a little bit better. A golden egg. There you a go. polished golden egg. Right. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, I think there's something about those filmmakers that I do resonate with because they have all the budget in the world, but if they can't tell me a great story with nothing, then... What are they going to do with millions of dollars? And they know how to. So there's something about them. We were saying about yes. sequels, prequels, and all of those things. Mm -hmm. About, you know, wow, there's a lot of those right now. Yes, there are. But if someone just happened to offer one on a golden platter to you, hmm. what would you like it to be? Oh, man. Or a remake, because that is also popular. There is a film, or there, sorry, there is a book that I read, and it takes me, because I'm dyslexic, it takes me a long time to read books, uh, but, you know, I read, I can read, uh, but it just takes me a while, and I, I've read lots of great books, but I read um, David Copperfield. Actually, I never read that book until I was in my 20s. I was here. I, I Sorry. Yeah, I was here. Uh, it was my late 20s. I read that book and it took me a long time because it is a dick book. And I could see the entire thing. It, 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 it came off the page like a film to me. 
And when I got through, I put the book down and I wept. And I'm not kidding you. I cried my eyes out probably for a half hour straight because of how moved I was by that story. And I've always, always thought, man, to be able to tell that story. And of course, they've done, they did a version of it pretty recently. And I love, uh, is it Dave Patel? No, so what's his name? Deb, Deb, Deb. I love Deb Patel as an actor. I think he's really good. I don't think it, he did, he did a fine job. They just short-circuited the story. And the, so many things that I loved about that story weren't even in it. And I thought, how could you neuter this beautiful thing? I, I would never want to make it like they made it. It was just, and it broke my heart because that's been one little secret that I've been hiding in here. Maybe one day I'll, I'll make that movie. And then I thought, okay, just do a good job. And I so wanted it to be good. And it was like, yeah. It just makes more opportunity for what your vision is going to be. Do you want to do more of a limited series thing? I think I would, I would definitely have to be either a series or, or, or multiple films. But it's like, well, are people going to sign up for that? Um, I, yeah, I think that would be incredible to do that. You know, there's a, there was another book I read in college called The, the Invisible Man. And um, that was like a movie coming off the page to me. And it's like a classic. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very... I don't know if you know the story, but it's... Wait, know, they made it into a movie, right? They did, but I think it was it was pretty bad. I don't think it came off. It's not not the Invisible Man, like the horror film. It's it's an African-American, like, story of a, basically a, 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 a gentleman who compares his, himself to being an Invisible Man because he's a person of color. Mm -hmm. And so I feel bad because that, that story so... It was one of those things... And I thought, I, I have to tell this one, but I don't know, as, as a Caucasian you know, male you know, in his 40s, if I'm the right person, but I wanted to tell that story because of what it did. You know, Spielberg did a good job with Color Purple, and not to say that, but I don't know if I'd be the right person, but I wish that I could. Yeah. Um, there's another one that I actually have been wanting to make for myself, for like over a decade that I still haven't felt ready, but I hope I'm getting there. But it's a personal thing. Um, Ooh, I don't secrets. know. Secrets. Yeah, Stay tuned. You know, yeah, yeah, it's it's a movie I've wanted to make for a long time, and I, I wrote it its first draft over ten years ago, and I've changed it so many times, and I finally feel like it's. And it's based there. off of the previous movie, or it's no, no, it's it's based on just a uh, sort of a personal experience that turned okay. into some wild sort of. Um, you know, another film, and, and why I bring this up is, um, holy moly, eternal sunshine of a spotless mind. It's that nice. movie was another life changer for me. It was really amazing. My name is Clementine, by the way. I'm Joel. Hi, Joel. No jokes about my name. Oh, no, you wouldn't do that. You're trying to be nice. I don't know any jokes about your name. Huckleberry Hound. I don't know what that means. Huckleberry Hound? What are you nuts? It's been suggested. <laughs> oh, my darling, no, oh, my darling, no, oh, my darling, Clementine. You were lost and gone forever. Dreadful sorry, Clementine. No? <laughs> sorry. It's just, it's a pretty name, though. It really is nice. It's um, and it's funny, I saw this after I started writing this other film, but that film was like, I was watching something happen 
that I didn't exactly know how to do. And then this person like put filmic language just to an idea that I had and I went, okay, it unlocked it for me. So it, 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 that's, it reconfigured the whole story for me. And so I went back to the drawing board after I saw that. Um, so what attracts you to a project? Like you've named a lot of things that you're inspired by that you see and you love and they resonate with you so you are looking at the own at your own projects that you're signing up for yeah what is that appeal you better love it like a child like if you don't you're gonna spend and i don't care what it is it can be a little short film you're gonna spend so much more time with that project than you ever thought you were ever 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 times seven ten that if you don't so love it that you're willing to go on all the ride, beginning to end, like we talked about with freaking Game of Thrones people, don't short circuit this beautiful thing that you'd made. Like you have to say, okay, if you can create that thing, then land it, stick the landing. Don't do it because you got too tired of it. Do what you need to do. You have to bring it home. And you are human, I get that. So there, are, there is grace. Starbucks cups will be left in shots. Exactly, that's fine. Yeah. But don't lessen your vision because you're tired. Just take a break, you know, take a break. And so I would say you have to love it to be willing to live with it for as long as it takes. Um, and so those films, this fucking nutty documentary, it's like you know it when it enters your DNA. It has, it has its own energy system inside of it. It will continue to fuel you because it lives. I feel like these things already exist in the future and somehow you just happen to be lucky enough to have received them and they're like, no, I'm going to live. And it, I feel like it's entrusting, that thing is, is entrusting you so you're a caretaker of it. It is like a child. And so it's like, okay, do I, am I, Am I willing to accept all the responsibility if, if I open my heart to you? If the answer is truly yes, with all that may come, then, then do it. But if not, then you should let it, you should let it pass, I think, because it's just not fair to that thing that wants to live, right? Uh, that's a fantastic way of putting, like, this is a child that already exists in the world, but, like, you are sending it on its journey, and you are just there to facilitate yeah. its journey in life. When you're making a documentary, I'm imagining it is almost exactly like doing this thing. Like, there is a pre-existing story that is mm -hmm. existing in front of you, and you are carrying that story, and then you're packaging it into some sort of thing that people are going to watch in like a two-hour time span. How do you film that story without altering the results of hmm. what you want that ending to be for your own packaging? Wow. Um, I, I think... Oh man, this is gonna suck. How do you, how do you say something that you want to say? You want to communicate a reverence and a humility, but even drawing attention to it almost feels like it cancels out you being humble or reverent because you were well. I feel like I was the one to do this reverent, humble thing. Mm -hmm. 
But I do believe there's a sacredness to it. And that's a perfect example. The holy frit thing. Or a child is a perfect thing. My children, I was the one tasked and, 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 um, you can use a weird word, but like sort of blessed with the opportunity to do this sacred duty. And those children do have my DNA, you know, my daughter might have my nose or, you know, this part of me or that part of me and this part of my wife, but they are their own human. They're their own human. And you are here to caretake it, not to force your will upon them, but to help put the guidepost they've been entrusted to you. And you're you. You're going to do it the way you do it. So I can't help but put myself into it because I'm me. And so I have to believe that for whatever reason, okay, I have been somehow, it's okay that that child came to me. It's like, okay, I will own that, that it's meant to come to me. So it's okay that I put my DNA and my fingerprint and my packaging somewhat around it, but I should never, ever, ever think that it is a carbon copy of me. It is not. It is a wholly independent thing unto itself. And that goes back to the magic, because really what the magic is, is it, the thing, the story, the movie, the entity that will live is telling you what it is. And I think your job as a parent is to put down your pride so much of the time because it constantly gets kicked and say, my job is not to turn you into me. My job is to turn you into you. And can you see it despite your own feelings about what it should be? Because you have to let go of your own vision and respect it enough to say it knows what it wants to be. Your vision will be a part of it, but you have to respect it as a wholly independent thing. I think that's what movies are. It's the same for me. It's the same kind of process, I think. We're here to listen to what you think. Thank you. Let's do it. Thank you. I hope you are loving the conversation with Justin Monroe so far. Loving it so much, in fact, that if I say that next week there is going to be even more inspirational Justin Monroe for you to hear, you'll be like, wait, let me like and subscribe to that immediately because not only will you get more, this sounds like a special edition thing, not only will you get more Justin Monroe next week, but included in this set is going to be Tim Carey, the subject of his documentary, Holy Frit. And we'll get to talk to him about what it's like to be the center focus of a documentary along with all of his other artistic endeavors. So if that is something that you are already looking forward to, then call this number below um, or like and subscribe. And until then, we'll see you next time.